talking to my friend this morning, John Eagleton out in Miami with sports ed TV. And I'm calling you here from uh, Denver, Colorado. We're living at the 45 and uh, all you tennis nuts watching the Australian open. And you know, John and I are, and uh, you know, we have nothing planned this morning, but a nice tennis conversation. So John, Always great to see you, my friend. You saluted me, I guess, in the South African military, we got the longest way up and the shortest way down. So I'll salute you back, man. Gotcha, gotcha. So what, what, match, what matches have you seen? What matches have you seen? I mean, I watched the, 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 the whole match. And uh, I thought that, would, that was an interesting match. Uh, it's interesting to me that people don't have the hydration down, you know, that to me is fascinating because I think people actually look at hydration wrong as, as what they do on the court, but really it's very critical what you're drinking, uh, you know, with dinner and what you're drinking every single day. And, 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 and it's a process, you know, it's all, almost, you need to look at not hydrating on the court, but your, your hydration off the court, right? I mean, that's where I think they're running to trouble, yeah. Huh? No, I didn't even, you know, that didn't even cross my mind in that match. Did the commentators say anything about hydration? I just saw, I just watched well, the match and I like saw. He was cramping, you know. I saw he was cramping and you think that's all hydration, huh? Well, yeah, that's, that's hydration, yeah. Uh, again, so, you know, uh, just arriving uh, in, in uh, Australia, it's like arriving in South Africa. It's summer, but, you know, it's hot, you know. That's a hot place. So, yeah, it's, and it's four hours. That was a long match, you know. Yeah, but he really fell apart. I mean, he really was giving Matt, I mean, uh, Rafa all he could handle. And then all of a sudden it was over. You saw he's swimming, swinging the right foot around on the serve. You saw he had nothing left in that right leg. The question for me is, uh, will Nadal be able to physically maintain this through the tournament? But we've been there with him a hundred times and then he comes back and he maintains his physicality, right? So, uh, but... Where is the beginning and the end for him, you know? Let me ask you one thing, because I, like I said, it, it didn't really occur to me. I just thought, well, he got tired and bad luck, you know, because of his cramps. But you say it's specifically hydration, which, of course, makes sense to me. Uh, do you believe really in, in mostly hydration through water or do you like the electrolytes thing? I mean, you what know, do you think uh, is the best? You asked me something, you know, rooibos tea is a tea that they sell on Starbucks, yeah? And it's a very good tea, but there is a part of that plant that is called Red Joe, and it's a concentrated part of it. And it has eight trace minerals. It's great for hydration. And I literally drink, uh, I make a gallon a day with a teaspoon. And I think that's one of the reasons my weight is down. It's one of the reasons I'm healthy. Uh, but there's just nothing bad in that. No sugar. It's called Red Joe. You can actually get it online. You know, you know but it's funny that you ask it. But Red Joe was just at my house. And, and, and drinking that tea with, uh, and, and it's, uh, with my meals and, and drinking it all day long because it's healthy. Uh, I mean, th that's what you need to be drinking. A lot of these other products actually are not helping you. You know, I mean, you got to make sure you put the right fluids in your body. Water is just not enough. Huh. You know? Huh. Uh, you know, I know, I know green tea is good for you. I started doing that. I still drink coffee, but I try to toss a little green tea uh, in my diet once in a while. When you say it's got everything good in it, what are you talking about? Minerals or electrolytes or everything or vitamins? Electrolytes. It's got eight trace minerals. Um, 
you know, works on a cellular level. The actual tea is sold in Starbucks, it's rooibos. So this is one of the oldest teas, but from this plant, they take it and, and, and they process it. And this is a, a much stronger version of the rooibos and, and you can kind of spoon it. I'm gonna send you some, Jack, but I really believe that's one of my keys to the health and why I'm always running it. Remember, I always run at two o'clock in Miami. I only operate in the heat. I believe the heat is good for you. I'm, you know, 67. But the rooibos, um, uh, in this case, red gel hydration uh, has everything. You know, it, it's organic, it's natural, it's a plant, no caffeine, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, one of the best hydration products I believe there is. Yeah, but it also keeps me healthy. I I don't eat any food without drinking two glasses of that. So that's another thing that's important. It's good for your, you know. You know, get, getting your your system. Does the drink kind of fill you up, or not necessarily? It's a very pure taste. I've given it to hundreds of people, and especially girls that care for what they drink, and and people drink it. I, mean, I very rarely find anybody that doesn't like it. But I, I really, that to me is, is is a big deal of what's keeping me healthy. That's it, interesting. It, I don't. I wonder. Trace minerals in there, right? I wonder if all the guys on the circuit know about this stuff. You know, I was told that, um, who's the famous football coach? Andy, um, uh, won the Super Bowls, uh, that he used it for all of his players that he kept a secret, yeah. Really? Really? And how's it, how's it spelt again, exactly? Red Joe, R-E-D. Oh, Red Joe, okay. Yeah, Red Joe uh, hydration. But if you go online, they'll say part of the rooibos tea. Rooibos is the oldest, longest existing tea, or one of them, and it's sold in Starbucks, so it's not a hard sell. It's natural, no caffeine, no sugar, I'm gonna, trace I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out today. It's funny. I'm going to, you know, next week I'm meeting with a, 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 a very good uh, and well-known nutritionist, and um, I'm going to ask her about this tea because it sounds like a great product. I've never personally heard of it, but I'm going to get into it. Yeah, it's, it's more of the, the hydration. It's more of the uh, the leaves and the plants. And this, this, it, it, it is uh, coming out of South Africa, right? Out of Africa, yeah. Oh, okay. And, and I'm, I, I didn't know about it until I met Red Joe himself. You know? <laughs> but, so you, but you're uh, not big. You're not big on things like Gatorade, too much sugar. Is that it? Or, or I don't want to pick on the big brands. I just don't think that actually helps you any anyway. You know, I think that water is not. You know, people pay spend a lot of money on water. Or literally for five cents, I can take a small teaspoon or 10 cents and make myself a gallon of this. And, um, you know, and we're drinking, it's got a lot of very, very good, uh, good stuff on it, you know? Huh. Um, well, that is interesting. No, I've never, uh, I've never gotten into it, but I think I will. It's a great idea. I mean, um, if I can find it fast enough here, Jack, I can... Oh, look it up here, yeah, but I, I, I only keep a copy because people ask me about it all the time. But yeah, I mean, that'll be a great thing to do. Just get it on Amazon, yeah? I will. I'll definitely look it up today for sure. Um, you know, the other the other match, I, I don't know if Nadal's going to, but I've said this so many times, but I don't know if Nadal's got it for this tournament. Uh, number one, it's, I guess it's good that it's not clay, but uh, clay is his surface and uh, there's just... I just don't know if he's got the physicality anymore. He just doesn't look quite the same. He misses more than he does in the past. You know, he never missed before. So I just don't know. I'm still a big Medvedev uh, Djokovic final 
And uh, well, Medvedev is looking pretty good, right? And, and those boy, he did, he only dropped three stuff. games. Dropped three games yesterday. So the point is that I think is not that the Nadal's uh, physicality is bad. He's always at a high level. He still played that match yesterday, and he won it, right? And that, that's a yeah. tough match for an eighteen-year-old to play. So, question is the physicality of the other players of their level is very high. And what happened with Federer and them is training became so extensive that people got better as they got older and they've improved their physicality, right? So I, I think believe so. today the younger guys were trained earlier and they're reaching this high level of physicality and they can match Nadal and Djokovic physicality at a much earlier age, you know, so that they can compete with that because that physicality is it seems like they got better as they got older, but it wasn't that they, they got physically better and better and they were able to maintain it for a long time, you know? Yeah, I think also the purity of, of Federer's strokes, you know, he just grew into his strokes, which were already very, very pure. And uh, and and all he had to do was just stay fit and, and keep getting stronger. And I think sometimes strokes can hurt you. I've, I've like, like we've talked about Radakanu before, great physical athlete. I mean, great athlete and, and great physicality, but there are certain things she does on her ground strokes that, that are a little torquey. They're a little torquey on her body. I think a little too upper body dominant and not, you well, know, I not mean, Jack, dominant. Uh, let's get back to Federer first, Danny, right? Yes. So, Roger had that modern day forehand, and I probably taught more Federer forehands. I actually figured out how to teach it. All you got to do is get your hands up and roll it up and pick your angle. And you've got this forehand versus racket back. You can just go like this and roll your hands up. You can create what we call dependent movement, meaning you get this hand here, your upper body stable. Normally it takes you six months to, to learn that on clay, but now you can... You know, we call that dependent movements versus independent where we used to move and swing like crazy, right? Independent. So you get your hands up like that. But the problem, I think, for Federer is, uh, well, he had that forehand for a long time before everybody else got, but everybody's got that forehand, and they're even more physical than him now. But the one-handed backhand is a great shot, and Dick Gould once told me at one of the best one-handed backhands he saw, but I've always stuck into my mind when the two-handers came into tennis, because we've been around for a long time, and the one thing that nobody talks about is the degree of difficulty to execute a one-handed backhand. And I think the degree of difficulty is a, a, a four to an eight, and the two-handed backhand is a two to four, you know? Mm. And so I think nobody talks about the degree of difficulty to execute the shot, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on on one, on one end. I, I, I agree with you. Roger keeps his hands very stable. But then what he does so well, and I've really researched this quite heavily in super, yeah. super slow motion, but not only does he have his hands like this and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't pull them back like that and just, but he has this great inner movement, right? He's got this, I call it a figure eight, but he's got this really nice, you know, inner movement gyration. So he really doesn't move his arm. He's kind of like Agassi that way where they don't move their arm that much. They, they kind of put it on the hitting point. And then the stroke itself is an optical illusion, right? The inside moves like that. And the okay. arm really stays pretty stable. You're talking about your 45 there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're so, living there, baby. You know, let me, you know, because Jack, it's, it's good because well, I love talking to great coaches. Like, so 
if you look at a picture, you know, uh, I have a friend that used to coach uh, Isner, a really good guy, North Carolina boy, and he calls me lean, loaded, leveraged. So what people, the worst mistake that people ever make of the federal forehand, because it's difficult to get footage at tournaments because it's illegal, right? Like you can film when they want, but he's one of the worst warm-up hitters I've ever seen. He's very, very lazy, very lazy warm-up. Yeah, and so people have millions, but, but if you look at his forehand, and you, you find the, the lower body, the lean, the load, and the leverage, and the space, and the hand, so that he's got his base wide and everything, right? And then that allows him, because of the position of the lower body, so he can fire the foot, he can fire the hips, so or he can just rotate the upper body. And, and, and that's what I believe, it's the lower body and, the, and that base, what creates the physicality and allows them to do exactly what you're talking about, you know? Tell us again what you just said. Gets that upper body. Put it in Jack Brody language, you know? <laughs> you know, what I what I notice about his forehand is, is uh, and what you say is exactly true. It's it's funny. He is a very lazy warm-up, you know, because he, he kind of faces the net the whole time. And, you know, and he's just got the swagger like this. But then when he plays, he really does line it up much better right? That 45, right? And you see he yeah. uses his hips much more when he's playing and even kicks his foot behind him like that, right? I mean, when he's really going to hit a line, he kicks that foot and he keeps his lineup, uh, as Martina Navratilova always says, and, and he holds his lineup really well. Same thing with Djokovic. And I think those that's one of the main reasons those three guys kept winning because they're a little more disciplined. You watch Monfils, who I love. I love watching Monfils, but he's facing the net a lot. And team faces the net a lot. And a lot of these players, they don't they don't keep as structured as those three guys. I mean, Nadal gets to that 45 and then he goes, I'm not going to pass it. You know, he never passes it. And then the other two guys are always kicking their foot behind them to make sure it contact. You know, everyone talks about swinging your foot around. But if you watch the contact of those two guys, right at contact, they're always cooking, kicking their right foot behind them as at contact and then it finally swings around after the ball's gone but that's what oh, i yes, think so is Jack, so yeah, special we're, we're, we're a little bit different so i think um i i agree with you totally on, on what you're saying there right um but what people don't realize is the the best movement i think for the 45 now you can argue is if you hit about a semi-open 45 degrees, right? Semi-open. Semi-open, that's what it is. Semi-open. Right. Yeah, but I asked a, a, a guy's fitness trainer because I couldn't get an answer from tennis players because we do the same stuff over and over, right? Sometimes we're dumb as I'm not going to say it. Um, I said, why do boxers like to step back? And, uh, and Djokovic steps back a lot to hit that, uh, you know, that uh, semi-open, right? So when you step back, you lengthen your muscles and you can actually hit a bigger shot versus step, stepping up, you know? So the semi-open, but now I think you can create that 45 of you if you, when you're moving to the right, if you angle your foot, if you open and you angle your foot 45 degrees. Yeah. Okay. Then that fits more into your feet. But if you don't angle it, and sometimes you can't and you're running sideways, you can still rotate out of it. That's the beauty about rotation power. You can get out of a lot of trouble. But Stepping diagonally forward 45 degrees open is as good as the semi-open stepping up. And on the right side of the court, 
it's impossible to be late. It makes people that are late. So I, you know, so I want you to tell me, so I think you can create your 45 with that diagonal forward too. You can implement it with, I like 45 degrees, but you can be somewhere between 10 and 45 and be pretty close and rotate out of it for the open stance. And, and the reason that open stance is so effective is um, if you, for the right eye dominant, the left eye is that if you step diagonally forward, the guys that look next to them, it's impossible to be late because of the hitting shoulder. So do you agree with that? And, and, and so, you know, yeah, it's interesting. I, you, you tease me about the 45 a lot. And I like that, by the way. No, I'm, teasing you. I'm just saying, I want to make sure that I understand. And it. I understand I like what it. you're saying. I want to make sure that if, if, if I learn from you that I implement it correctly, right? What you're saying is actually, it, it, I, I see it in the players and I know what you're saying. The only reason I use the 45 is because it's something that people can aspire to. It, it's something that's physical. You see, there's the net, there's the side fence, there's the 45. Instead of taking the ball late or early, which most, uh, the pros, when they miss, they usually hit it early. And the club player, you when he misses, usually hits it late. But the 45 gives you an ideal point. And when I say ideal, I mean, You've got a vertical axis. We all agree on that there is such a thing called the vertical axis yeah, the and a horizontal axis. axis. Fits in there, yeah. And so there's some things I say, there's something special about the 45 degree angle, whether it's a microscope that the mirror is at a 45 degree angle, or if it's a basketball player, like a great free throw shooter, like Magic Johnson, he doesn't face like Shaquille O'Neal. He always would skew his body to the 45 because he has better depth perception or, or whether it's, um, you know, the 45 yeah, so I, is. So I, I 100% agree with you on that. Right. But so I'm not saying, theory. I'm not saying it has to be the 45. I'm just saying it's, a, it's an be. ideal point. It's an so ideal. Let's point. see if you agree with me here too, because this is a great discussion. When you step up for a semi open forehand or backhand, or you step back and you create that 45, right? Cause you do rate stepping back too, right? Um, I think that's the optimum movement. I think the semi-open is the most natural movement. It's great for the 45, you know. But the point becomes, when you're in a sport, when you're moving in this particular range from your right. court, like in that 45. Cutting off the, cutting off the angle, cutting off the angle too. Yeah, right. But then you do that. But when you're moving lateral, and the reason it's good is, Look at my hitting shoulder. It's pretty good, right? When you go close, where's my hitting shoulder? Very bad, right? And yep. for eye-hand coordination, for vision, I this 45, you know, uh, semi-open is great, right? But when you move to the right and the ball is wide, angling your right foot or stepping diagonally forward, and, and this is kind of one of the things that I don't understand that nobody talks about and, and not to pick on the tee, kind of is... So for most of the court, if you stand at that step, when you move into your right, being open and stepping diagonally forward, which is impossible to be late, and rotating out of that or just having your foot angled because you stepped in a rotational power. If you open and you angle your foot, boom, you got power. If you step diagonally, you get some more power to that. But what is the best movement for the shot in the part of the court? So in wide, I think that's a better movement. Anything towards the middle, and moving to the left, I think the semi-open, whether it's in, as far as you move, if you go further left, anywhere from 10 to 45, 60 degrees is, is a good movement because you can rotate out of there, right? Optimum is 45, 
but the beauty about this is that's right you can't always be perfect you can't always be perfect but if you have and a semblance that's the beauty about rotational yeah. power and that's why i say the game is easier because you can rotate out of these things <laughs> you don't have to adjust your footwork you're in the base right does that make sense do you agree there no, so, it makes sense. You know, it makes me think about the volley too, though, because on the volley and, and for a similar reason on the wide ball, on the ball that comes right at you, very few players can handle it. Like Federer was so good because if you hit right at him, he would step back and with his back foot and he'd be perfectly lined up or the forehand, he would step back. So people don't really talk about uh, when the ball comes right at you. But when the right. ball comes right at what you. The boxer told me when you step back, you lengthen your muzzle. You're still in a power position, right? And, and you and give yourself you some room. You, you have hitting, yeah, you have hitting space. You have room. Yeah. Right. Well, also when you're moving into the ball, you might have to set it backwards versus forward. It's easier to set it backwards than forward. You know, so what? Uh, and I get into this thing where what's the best movement for the shot? You understand what I'm saying? And yeah. What movement do you actually like? If you like the shot, so maybe Federer is better than that. Uh, but you know, Rublev is really open, and you know, and so is uh, uh, Medvedev. They like that movement just a little bit better, but they use all the movements. You know, and, and yeah. what is the best movement for the shot, and, and what is the one that you like to use that you know when you have to do it, you can do it, right? So if you probably like a shot, and you probably like the movement, you know, but. Nobody talks about, I wish we can add uh, and, and on commentating, and maybe we can do it Saturday on the show, is, and, and add in, is that a movement error? Was that movement particularly more difficult? Was there an easier movement for him to execute that shot? Because we're talking about a high-speed gladiator sport, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's right. And, you know, it's funny. What you're talking about now is so much more interesting um, we had a show last night, The Real Spin, our first one, and, and we talked about why so many non-tennis players uh, think tennis is boring. Let's face it, you know, we are, a, we are a bunch of nuts. The people that love tennis are tennis nuts, and we're a very small group, very cult. We're very cult. In fact, it, it, you know, we, we've just never approached baseball, basketball, and football and now you can put soccer in there. And, and I think a big reason is because people don't do what you're doing. If you and I were, let's say, to watch a match, we would go slow motion. We'd get close on the court. We'd go from above. We'd go from above so you could see the angle of, your, of the foot, as you're saying, so we could see where contact is. But in tennis, you know, they, they get you, they get the face, right, where right as they're serving. And then right as the toss goes up, they go 100 miles away. And they have a big court. So people that don't play tennis can't relate. They can't relate to tennis because it looks like just a ball going back and forth. You don't feel the speed of the ball. Like you say, it's very quickly. It's moving very quickly and powerfully, but you don't really feel that in a match. But I was watching the Buffalo Bills this weekend. And I tell you what, every single play that's an interesting play they hit it from this angle, from this angle, from above. They have, you know, and they, they do so a much what, better what I'm job. Is, Jack, you know, you I created something called the O attack. Okay. You got four open movements that just being in your base, angle your foot, stepping diagonally right. And in the base, you can angle your forehand, you can angle your backhand without moving. You can step diagonally forward in, in the, in, on, on the left foot too. So there's four open stands, four semi opens, one forehand stepping up, one stepping back. And then there's uh, the on the backhand side, semi-open, stepping up and back. But I created the O attack, and nobody really ever under, understood that. And I call it the spider attack, 
because you can literally step in any direction and attack. I've seen it. We grew I've up seen, with, hey, seen, you got to step into it. the ball. So in that yes. attack, in rotational power, but there's three levels of rotational power. I think this is where people get in trouble. You're in your base, and I'm just going to fire the foot. That's one movement, right? Get the hip, because you're not going to keep the hips loose if your feet are locked. You're going to get that those hips going. I know you're a hip guy. The other one is you hit it, and your weight come forward about 45 degrees. That's an, that's the next level of rotational power. It doesn't mean you can hit it harder, but it'll naturally take your weight through. The third one is I call the X attack. So you line up at 45 degrees, you hit the ball, and because you're firing up, you're going to get airborne. But how do you land? You land in the 45. <laughs> you know, no, no, I, I do. I, I hear you. I, nobody I... talks about how do you land when you get airborne. And so people said, they not talk about airborne tennis because when you're firing that big, and we've, we now get different strike zones we attack, we don't love a high ball anymore. You, there's airborne tennis, but it's rotational power level one. But this O attack, you, you can practice all the movements at any degree, 10 degrees all the way around, and practice your different movements open. You do it in semi open, you can do it rotational power one, you can do it where you fire your hip through, and then. You can do it airborne, you know, and, and and but you have to have a way to land. And again, you can also cross step, you know, and like we do, and then you, you can also rotate your upper body and step through with your hip, you know. So I think what I call the spider attack, you gotta behave like a spider. You can step in any direction and attack and you can get airborne, you know? Yeah. So I don't I, know if um... that's too crazy for you, but, uh, but it, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's called the O attack. And literally when you run, it's like setting up a million baseball mounds. You run, and now you're on a new baseball mound, and you pick your movement. I, I use, you know what? I thought I was the only person who used that analogy in my lessons. I use the baseball mound, and I say, yeah, yeah you're basically you know running what? up there. And sometimes you can do it. Hey, when oh. I filmed uh, the original Technique Tennis, my guys made me take it. I said, I don't know if you can put that. I said, As you run there, and you reset your mound, and you pick your position, and you hit. Yeah. resetting a million baseball mounts where you're going to stand still and physical yeah i've used the exact same i don't know that's funny that's funny uh well you know it's funny you use the word diagonal a lot so i really do think we agree on a lot but but we use different words because to me diagonal i think what's the most perfect diagonal right the 45 is the most perfect diagonal and i i like to have a red line that goes through well, I, all I the players that's the optimum movement but the truth is from zero degrees, you can angle your foot and get 45 with your foot. You can go another, I like to think it's 15 degrees, right? You can get mm -hmm. uh, a 15 degree, a 30, but after that, an open is not good. It needs to become semi-open. There, there's a range of motions that people can execute and everybody's bothered. It doesn't, but that is the optimum movement, but, but you, you need all the movements, you know? And maybe you use that movement 60% of the time and the game is so fast and the other movements you're using 40% of the time. It'd be very interesting to see how many open stands they use, how many semi-open, you know. And well, then, you and know, you talk to what movement did the errors occur and on what movement did the winners occur? You know, what, what, what kind of effect did the movement have on the outcome of the match, you know? Yeah. Besides you, moving you, your feet, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Right. You talked about you talked about airborne shots. 
And it makes me go right back to origin, the original guy who, who did that was Car uh, Marcelo Rios. He was the first guy I remember to pick up his back foot. He was a lefty. He would pick up that right foot. But all you ever heard, and, and everyone does it now, but all you ever hear from the commentators, uh, Mac included, and I think Mac's uh, you know, a great champion, but he doesn't, A, he doesn't have a two-hander. B, he didn't have that loosey-goosey game, right? He was a very uh, linear player, so to speak. And, and, you know, they dismiss it as a show-off. That's the word he uses. Oh, why do they just have to show off like that? But I don't see it, I don't see it that way at all. And, and I like what you said about the um, off-the-ground hitting. Um, but you notice these guys, I always have a racket somewhere. You notice when they pick up that back foot, when they make contact, they kick it, they, they kick it, scissor kick it behind them like a donkey kick. Right, and but that's just... They don't just go around like that, right? They pick it up and then at contact, yep. they stretch it behind them. And that's yeah, a very Jack, interesting thing for people to see. Yeah, but Jack, I, I put that in a different category, okay? So the four semi-open movements, right? And then the four open movements in rotational power. So when you step into the ball and you kick the back leg up, is is when you you're taking linear and you're attacking and that's your way of holding your balance. In some ways, it's a lot like when you serve and you kick. So that's a more it, linear movement. Exactly. And, and kicking the legs up. And you land on the and you land on the front and you land on the front foot. If you're kicking your leg up, then you're, you're, there's something wrong. That's for the linear ones, right? And guess what? I people say, why do they need more? Uh, close stands back end. I said because of the position of the hitting shoulder. You know, when you turn sideways for the forehand, that's a bad position to hit. But the semi-open puts you in good spot. That's the position of the hitting shoulder, and then you can create a better hitting contact by picking the best movement for your contact. You know, do you agree with that? Or why not yeah. speaking English? I remember English is my second language. Huh? Yeah, no, no, no. I I get it. Uh, you know. I just think so much of the game is, is, is like we always talk about, so misunderstood. Like I, like I said, that, that two-hander where you step up and kick your foot behind you, that's because you're in the groove. You don't feel like you need to be on both feet. And, and, and just speaking of that, uh, of, of kicking it behind you, last night when I was watching Draper uh, in that fourth set when he really looked bad, I knew it was all over because you know how, uh, well, he's a lefty. So you know how when you serve, you're supposed to land on the front foot, right? You, well, you know how these guys, they, they get off the ground, right? They serve, they get off the ground, and they land on the front foot first. And I knew he was hurting because he started to do this. And I said, oh, boy, this guy's really in trouble. He's not going to make it this fourth set. That's the Jack Brody beginner starting lesson, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Am I right or it, wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, getting the hip through, right? That's where you went to, right? But the problem is, when the guy's hurt, he not only pulled his hips through, but he lost his lineup, right? He just brought him all the way through, and you could tell he was hurt. You could tell he was really hurt because he wasn't going up in the air. He was just rotating around and, and just trying to get through the match. You know, I think the biggest, uh, the best leg kicker upping guy, and maybe there's more guys that do it today, but taking back to the last American to win a Grand Slam was Andy Roddick. Right. When he kicked his leg up. That back oh, the leg. back leg. The back leg, yeah. Yeah, he kicked that up. I mean, that thing oh, had worked. It, it came up to his head. 
He literally came up. He fired that big, you know? Yeah, it came and up again, to his head. again, that's to hold your balance, right? You know? Right. And, right, because uh, you're landing on the, you're landing on the front foot after doing all this rotation. You yeah, still land on the front foot. You need some balance. That's why that right that's why that back foot. When you foot. step up and you kick the back leg up, but people are confused. They think that's the power. They don't realize that's the only way you can maybe hold your balance when you're getting physical and and maybe the ball's a little higher, right? That's what I was getting at. That that one footed backhand is very similar to the movement on the serve. Very similar. You kick the leg up. I can't believe we actually agree on one thing, Jack. That's pretty crazy. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I, I bet if we got together and you showed me your stuff, I'd probably be there like this. And I think if I showed you my stuff, I think it's all pretty irrefutable when you when you when you really look at it. The only difference I'd say is is yours is based on a lifetime of being a successful player and coach. And Mine is also, but I, I started looking, especially certain players like Agassiz's Groundies, Sampras's Serve. I started looking at this science that I found called projective geometry. And I said, son of a bitch, everyone's living in this perfect, in this perfect bubble where they're literally living in a bubble and, and, and their hips are moving perfect. Their head stands still in the middle. And they're literally living out a geometric formula on the tennis court. That's so, the main formula you should practice. And, and then around that formula, you're going to need the other movements, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to customize your tennis because some people might actually like some of the other moves. Yeah, you're 100% right, you know? And tennis players and people's movements are so different. So I 100% ag uh, uh, agree with you there, you know? Well, yeah, and you see, and you know, it's it's funny, you see their movements are different, and I agree they are, everyone has different, I mean, certainly to the layman, Nadal looks a whole lot. that doesn't mean that's not the optimum movement is what I'm saying, yeah? Oh, that but movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm saying, but I'm saying some people are better at other movements, and so uh, they can live pretty close to that. I think they have more options now, and maybe let's put it this way, this is the optimum, right? We get that, nobody... But they now, with rotational power, they have more optimum movements when you open, just angle the foot because it puts your hip in the right position and then everything works, right? Well, you're, you yeah, you're talking Serena. You're talking Serena. the movement, you hit bigger, better shots now. Yeah, That's and you're right. It, 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 it depends on what your athleticism is. As Serena got slower, right, in her career, right, which as the years went on, she got a little bit slower she had to do exactly what you're saying because she didn't want to move that much, right? She didn't want to use her body that much. So she would, and she was strong enough to where she could not even be in the optimal position, but she would always kick that right foot out and be lined up. And then, and then, you know, she'd really muscle it a little bit, but her movement uh, was sort of predicated on, on the fact that she couldn't cover the court as the younger, thinner girls could. So she had to I had rely an on interesting other conversation with Richard, you know, because I said to Richard uh, at the Miami Open one time, and he, I said, Richard, um, you know, um, when did you put Serena in the base? Now, imagine now, this might be 10, 12 years ago, right? And he immediately answered me when she was nine or eight. <laughs> I said, oh. when did you put her in the open stance? He said, then. And I think there was some influence from uh, the, the Spanish coach, uh, Oscar Wagner, you know, and uh, he was kind of one of the original Spanish guys that actually were explaining what they do as players, right? Right. Um, and I said, but Venus didn't do that. He said, yeah, but that really hurt her. 
Huh. And huh. I said, Richard, at this point, you've got 22 uh, Grand Slam winners or whatever the number was. It was some ridiculous number. And it, was, it was still more than anybody. So you are the greatest coach ever. He gave me an answer that I can't say on TV. Uh, but yeah, he said, people think I'm dumb. You know? I said, all right, but I'm actually thinking you're smart because that's why I'm asking you. And you gave me immediately the answer. So Richard got it. He was fighting the will to keep his doors open, you know, and semi-open, you know. And so uh, that was an interesting conversation with, uh, and, and you'll notice that uh, just returning to surf, Serena would stay pretty open, right? Very, uh, yeah, even on her backhand, which most people don't do, she stays very open right. on her backhand. But today the girls move better on their backhand and they open and rotate and they can generate so when you open like that, you can get the ball cross-court easier, the degree of difficulty. You can defend better. You can recover better. But the girls are, I think, for the first time, almost better than the guys on the backhand. And it's not often in tennis I have said that. So guys got these big serves. They don't have to move as well on that backhand. And they get away with a lot of stuff. But listen, Rublev and Medvedev are doing it pretty well. But overall, I think the women, because the ball's lower and coming pretty fast, hitting a big ball, they have to be very good at that open stance. And you see a lot of them very good at that, yeah? And they can hit it as hard as stepping into it, yeah? I mean, that's the biggest thing is that on TV, where I think they hurt the people is that, and they do show that somebody was open, they hit 110 mile an hour forehand, is not making them realize that when they open, they can hit the ball as big as stepping into it. And stepping into it on a cross step might be worse than open, you know? Uh, you know? Yeah, well, power. I think stepping stepping into it was, uh, well, you talk about rotational power, which I, I completely agree with. Uh, but I think stepping into it was an old thought from the 60s or something, or maybe the 20s, where you wanted to transfer your weight. Remember, they used to say transfer your weight from the back well, foot. We to hit through five balls and transfer your weight. Right. Well, but you if can you... still step up on it, but you, you know, you have to decide. And so when I look at stepping up, I look at um, uh, you've now elected to take the ball earlier. Okay. That's not so, necessarily always the best thing. Right. So in, in the modern day game, you know, one of the ways you can lose control of the point is if you step up too fast, actually. Okay. If you move up too fast, you can defend the outside, right? <laughs> Okay, so do you want to hit this ball that's coming at this speed because it's coming fast, you know, three feet back in your strike zone or you want to hit a lower strike zone? So, yeah. but yeah, stepping up is still important, still taking earlier, moving into the court, but that's different than maneuvering around that baseline, you know, where you've got, uh, you know, 200 Ferraris on the men's tour running around and, you know, 200 Lamborghinis on the women's tour having to operate high speed and having to move up and back between baselines. So that's another thing. You need this movement system to be able to move up and drop back, you know? Yeah, so. I think I think the big difference between the way we think of it today uh, and back then was it was very linear, very linear, right? Just forward to back, uh, not the great players, but that's how we taught the game, right? Be very linear transfer. But today you see it's more of a screwing down into the court and screwing up out of the court. That's why Nadal finishes like this. And, and, and Nadal finishes moving backwards half the time, like a golfer when he lays his head back. So many right players before, now. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Because Jack, when we hit the ball before, we hit it like we hit myself on the floor and fat and flat. But now the contact is fun. And when you hit that fun, 
I mean, it doesn't matter where you finish. That's right. That's right. There's no more. Fo- what are, remember, remember, Braden and those guys used to say, pretend the ball has four balls and you want to go through every ball. It's not like that anymore. Now you just pop the ball and it's over. Yeah. It looks like yeah, you got I, a time. You got a time crunch over there. Hey, Victor. Hey, uh, well, you, I, I, in my videos, I say you have uh, four finishes. When the ball is low, you wrap it around the knees. Then there's a second finish that will wrap around the hips. There's more of a standard one that comes around the shoulder. We used to go on top of the shoulder. You might have sometimes. And the fourth one, when you're getting airborne or you're firing up, that could finish in front of your body or behind your head. But there's another thing about finishing behind your head that also can create a very quick recovery system. Yeah? But that's not that's why they true. do it. See, I've always thought that they wanted to, to uh, make contact at that 45. So on a high ball, if they want to hit topspin and they don't want to come through it, they have to finish. I mean, Nadal's not the only guy who finishes looking under well, his arm. Yeah, I, like, once they, if they get good contact, they're going to do this, right? But yeah. if they're a little bit off balance and they're a little bit late, that's when they can pull that. Or if, the, uh, or if the ball's a little high. I think if yeah, the ball's the ball a little high, high or they're a little late, they can pull it off behind there. I even find myself doing that here and there, which is uh, kind of frightening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. And I like to pick up my back foot on both forehand and backhand now, because I'd like to see what they do and I like to try and mimic it. But, uh, Hey, John, you know, I mean, we didn't even have this plan, but you know, I can just pick, get on the phone with you any old time. I don't care if it's Sunday morning and, uh, we have before, these conversations before we go to church, you know, to make them public right now. I'm just joking. But uh, I mean, I think what's more important is you're from America. You're a top coach. I'm from South Africa. We speak really. My English is it's not bad, but it's not, you know, calculated precise. It's, you know, it's got a little bit of Africa in it. Right. But I think what's what's great is that we can talk and. I can talk about what you do and you tell me now I understand better what you're talking about. And now you're understanding much better what, what I'm talking about. And when I wrote my original book, it was time to change over 34. I made a lot of people in America mad. I said, wait, guys, I won a grand slam in 34 times, but now it's 80 on the men's side. I don't know what the number is. But the point was, I believe the great coaches were all over America. And if everybody had more of a new starting point that would work together and get into some level of a discussion, then that's where you're going to create the best coaching. When we can, I can actually understand more about what you do and you can see more what I do. And we have these discussions, you know, and we don't have to agree because we could both be right and we could both be wrong. You know, that's right. And and I think um, you have to listen. And I don't think everybody, I don't think everybody in this world listens and on that, you know how many people say they're open-minded? I think a very small fraction of those people that say they're open-minded are truly open-minded. You know, they just like to say it and they like to believe it, but they really want you to say what they already believe. You know? Well, Jack, you got a lot of passion, and maybe I think at some level I have passion too. I'd say at some, TV. I'd say at some level you do with sports ed TV. <laughs> yeah, I guess we have created the world's largest free education site. Uh, but we help a lot of people all over the world and uh, work with a lot of coaches. And, and coaches have changed. They're, they're more willing to, to learn or, 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 you know, just have good conversations. 
but um, yeah, we have passion. So that's a great thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of knowledge helps too, but passion is very important. I mean, you can get very far with a lot of uh, inspiration, so to speak. I need to come to your place. We need to do some snow tennis, you know, and uh, then we can, you know, you got to come and do some heat tennis in Miami. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, plus I got to get you, I got to get you to do the clacker drill with the two rackets. Cause that's a biggie. I gotta, I gotta that, learn that, you know, that's a biggie, man. <laughs> I'm going to practice that. You know? <laughs> hey, John, I love talking to you, man. You're a good friend. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you, Jack. It. And uh, listen, there's a lot of great coaches in this country and I respect all of them because this is not an easy thing to be a tennis coach, you know, because work hard uh, people leave they quit you they're not loyal uh, and you have to realize you're a, no. a servant in this business i think it's a tough sport uh, you it is tough. somebody for seven years and they leave you and so a lot of the coaches you know out there just deserve a lot of credit but i do think facebook has helped a lot of us stay in touch and communicate and follow so there are some benefits to to social media and uh, i live in a world where you know for sports tv we have uh, they did number one on Google for videos, but it's not about that. It's about helping people because we have 300 words at the top of Google, right? So it's about that sports and TV can make a difference, a multi-sport platform. I can learn from the other sports. And yeah, thank you for oh, having yeah. me, Jack. I'm honored. You know, I need to get some time with you on the court, you know? Plus we're we gotta do, get some We're going to do that. And you know, I came off a bit, I came off a bit curmudgeon-like, uh, you know, there are great coaches and I have a lot of friends now, you know, through my school, uh, I become such good friends with so many tennis pros and they are open. And you know, what's funny, we're not doing it to get rich. Let's face it. I mean, if we are, if you're, if you're a tennis pro to get rich, you better find something else to do. Cause that's not a very wise move. So it really is about helping people and about helping your students and making, especially juniors, and, you know, I'm, I love teaching the beginner ladies, you know, I, that's fun too. So it is, it's all fun. I agree. I agree. Well, John, thanks. And, you know, I'm sure we'll do it again. And we have to just hey, make sure Jack, that you're living between the 45, right? I, I'm, living, I'm living, I'm living with you, baby. The multi-sport platform of sports at TV, but thank goodness I've got a lot of good technology people like Victor Bargansolo, founder of Dartfish, you know? Yeah, Victor's and, great. Yeah, and Robert and too. Robert was a branding guy, Mazza Kelly, and thank goodness he did play a little tennis too. So thanks, Jack. <laughs> thanks, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, bye. So that was great. Huh? That was great. I think that's an interesting conversation we had there. I knew we wouldn't have to worry about it. I knew all we had to do was start talking. I didn't know we were going to talk about the fucking 45. I didn't know, you know. I just, whatever you wanted to talk about, I was ready, and and you know, we just started talking about the match. I just wanted to put my movement system into your 45. That's what I felt. That's exactly okay. how I picked it up, too. I thought to myself, okay, he accepts the idea that there's a true geometry that you could put on paper, and but he's showing it to me as you live it out on the court. I'm showing you the, oh, the whole movement system, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be pretty I spectacular. Remember I sat in a room for two years, 18 months, if I send you these pictures sequencing every movement a mirror and then going on the court and trying it people don't know about that then we filmed it and then i went back and wrote my book in reverse off the videos man. but i never saw the book huh? so i'm a crazy we, bastard you know i i will challenge you to do one thing uh and that is it's an interesting thought 
since you're all sports platform, take a look in baseball at contact, see where he is. Take no, a look I with spend, uh, I was at Inspiration Academy and they had yeah. baseball and uh, the, you know, I was there as in Bradenton and they were really had good coaches. And I spent a lot of time talking to them about contact. I was watching rotational power firing. There's a lot of similarities in the hips and the movements of the hips in tennis, you know. A lot of similarities oh, yeah. in boxing. So I actually looked at them and, and learned a lot of good things from, I remember, I don't know anything, but I'm a cricketer. I chose between cricket and tennis, right? Yeah, you once told me that, yeah. You know, but I was thinking more like where they put the golf ball when they're driving. They don't put it between their legs. They put it what would have be the 45 degree angle. And, and if you look at the other sports and start to look for it, I'll bet you'll say to me in a week, you'll say, you know what? I've been looking at all the other sports when a ball, when a soccer ball is kicked really that's hard. Best, overall, that's the best movements. You just need all the other movements to execute the whole package. Huh? Right. Even sailing. I don't know if you're a sailor, but I am, no. you know, the fastest point of sale is 45 degrees to the wind. That's when you go your fastest. Not, oh, yeah. not when you go across the wind, uh, parallel. You would think it would be, or even when you go downwind, you would think downwind would be, but the fastest point of sale is 45 degrees. So oh, there, there is something special. From, hey, my buddy, uh, you saw a picture of me sail from Cape Town to Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to ask him that. Whoa. I just had dinner with him. He said, <laughs> and he got to Fort Lauderdale. I said, we're from South Africa. And I sailed, they go, bullshit. And they arrested him for one second, and they said, welcome to America, and bought him lunch. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, sailing long distances is a heavy deal. My buddy, he's done that. He sailed from Hawaii to, like, Fiji. And it's a heavy deal to sail that, you know, for five years. 9,000 yeah. miles a day. It took him a few months, obviously, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Hey, John, have a great day. Jack, we can bullshit forever, brother. I need to see forever. you in person, yeah. Forever. I'll see you, All right. I'll talk to you. Bye.